0: 47 says God reigns over all the nations for he is seated on his holy throne for the kings of the earth belong to God and he is greatly exalted you reign in all the earth you reign in sins. They are many. His mercy is
1: more.
0: But patience would wait as we constantly know. What Father so tender is calling us home. He i
2: morning, church. We're so glad you're with us. We'll have you stand as we worship together. Sing how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid
0: for your faith in Him.
2: Man, You guys can take your seats.
3: Good morning, Salem Hiders. I have news for you. August 22nd. People are going to get baptized here. And if you want to be baptized here, will you please let us know? Will you fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, turn it in, or call the church office, or grab one of us in the hall and let us know? Uh, There's nothing better than seeing people get saved and then watching them make that public declaration of their faith in front of others, amen? If you want to be a part of that and you fill that card out, know this, on August 19th, that's a Thursday night, at 7 p.m., we'll be doing a baptism class to be able to go over all the different aspects so you know you're fully informed of what we're doing on that day. Here's the next one. August 29th at 4 p.m., there's going to be an all-church barbecue. We would love to have you be a part of that. So at 4 p.m., August 29th, up yonder in the park, come. We would love that. I'm done now. Go back to worshiping.
2: Thank you, Pastor Matt. We'll have you guys stand as we continue to worship together. says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Christ had victory over our death, and now we live in that victory, and we know that we will see it both today and when we are with him in glory. So we'll sing this together.
0: Because a God I serve knows only how to triumph, and my God will never fail, no, my God
2: Take your seats if you want. This power
0: in the mighty name of Jesus. There.
2: doesn't take him by surprise we sing. you gave us victory long ago, Lord. So we can have confidence in this life that when we seek you, when we pray to you, Lord, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Lord, and you listen. And Lord, we can have confidence in the fact that you can overcome anything in this life because you already overcame sin and death, Father. We praise you for that, Lord. We look forward to the day when we will be with you in glory and we will be clothed in our new bodies given by you, Father. But today we put confidence in you, knowing that we will see the enemy run. You will have victory again and again. Father, we praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.
4: Well, how great is it to be here on another Sunday morning? Are you thankful for that? I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 and 4. We're going to be at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And uh, we've been doing a series this summer called The Fundamentals of the Faith. And hopefully that's been an encouragement to you. It's one that we typically run Anybody that is uh, new to Salem Heights through, but we felt like it was a good time for us just as a church to walk through what are some of the fundamentals, what are essentials when you come to believe in Jesus Christ, what are some things that are in the Bible you're going to run into that you ought to know something about? Uh, Or what are some things that you need to have a handle on in order to have success in the Christian life? And so these elements that we've been preaching through are critical to our um, not only baby Christian life, but mature Christian life. We never outgrow the things that we've been talking about this summer. Amen? Amen. They are of uh, profound importance. And one of the things that uh, we, we had grouped into uh, three different messages, uh, Matt helped us out last week by adding some context there, but the three messages are on the enemies that we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Matt was so helpful last week to be able to highlight, too, in the midst of this, our eternal security. Aren't you thankful that if you've given your life to Christ, it's not up to you to stay saved? He takes care of it. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Man, if the rest of you are still worried about that, we can go back and re-preach that one because uh, that one's super important, okay? You're safe. Your dad... Father God loves you. You're in the family. That's why he reserves the right. If you start acting wonky as his child, right, you're not out of the family. He disciplines you. That's what Hebrews says. So he has kept you in the family. He's going to keep you in the family. It might be a rough go for you, okay, as you face the father's discipline, but he's not kicking you out of the family. You've been adopted. That's permanent. You're his. We're secure, With that security, though, we still face enemies, and in fact, we still falter, and the enemies still can have minor victories in our life, though not ultimate victory. You will still struggle with the world, with your own flesh, and with the enemy that we're talking about today, the devil. Um, I've been uh, captivated for a while with Uh, Up close magicians. Most of the time, uh, magicians are kind of a dividing line in the room, right? You either love them or hate them. But these up close magicians, one of the things that is captivating to me is the fact that right in front of you, right as they're, they're sitting right within a two or three foot proximity with sleight of hand, you can actually be watching what they are doing and not know what you have just seen and think that you know what you've just seen and completely get it wrong. And they know that they're about to confuse you and are super comfortable messing with your mind that close to you. It's absolutely awesome. One guy called the Gentleman Thief is Apollo Robbins, so successful as a pickpocket, now he works with psychologists on the techniques that he uses, and he did a TED Talk. And in this TED Talk, and I've shown pieces of this before in other classes, in this TED Talk, he starts at the very beginning, and he says, pull out your cell phones, and, and he says, on the bottom right-hand corner of your cell phone, there's typically an icon. Every single person has uh, a cell phone. Uh, you know, If you have a smartphone, you have a, uh, an icon on the bottom right-hand corner, and he says, uh, right now in your mind, tell me what that icon is. Then you pull out your phone, and he says, I want you to check and see if you're right. Some of you are already fact-checking this to see if this works, all right? <laughs> then he says, okay, put your phone away. And uh, he says, close your eyes. He says, what time is it? And a- across the audience, a bunch of them were like, I didn't know. He said, you just looked at your clock. You just actually looked at your phone, but you were focused on something else, and you didn't notice what time it is. He says, but on top of that, what am I wearing? And he's wearing this full suit. He has a vest and a tie on. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody had noticed what he is wearing, the guy that is the head of this. And then he, he proceeds to say, I can steal from anybody right in front of them, telling them what I'm about to do, and they won't know that it's happening. And he proceeds to pull a guy out of the audience, and he goes through with, uh, with just a, a, a casino chip, and he places it in his hand, and he says, do you think that's still there? And the guy's like, man, I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> Of course, the first time it's there, the second time it's sitting on his shoulder, the next time it's on his other shoulder. The meantime, he has taken his watch, his wallet, his keys, his money, and is showing it to the audience all the time saying, Where's this chip at? And the guy's watching the chip so hard, not wanting to be fooled. He's lost everything else. (laughs) At the very end, he says, Man, hey, here's a couple of things, some prizes for participating. He says, It's a watch. I hope it's to your liking. We have a little money here for you. There's a wallet with your name on it. We were thinking ahead of it. You know, he does that whole thing, and then he turns around to the audience, and he goes, hey, what, what am I wearing? And you don't have to close your eyes, and the entire time, you've been watching this thing, but the entire audience was duped because he's changed his clothes. <laughs> you never notice until he says, what am I wearing? Why is that important? He says, I've been studying the way to trick humans for about 20 years. Satan has a 10,000-year advantage on him, a superior intellect and a deep desire to fool you. And if you think that you are smart enough to see the wiles of the devil, you can sense on your own whether or not the information, by the way, one of the big tests that they've done, thinking fast and slow, a bunch of psychologists were studying whether or not you intuitively know whether or not information being given to you by a news agency is right you are wrong the majority of the time as to whether or not they're telling you the truth. Doesn't matter what side it's coming from. Why? Who is setting up the world system? It's not one side or the other. It is Satan trying to get you confused and looking at a chip, thinking you know exactly what's going on, while all the time he's taking all your goods your hope, your peace, your joy your family, all of it. He has snuck in and attacked. This passage we're looking at today is important. Do you agree? So let's find out what does Jesus do when Satan comes and attacks him. That is the question. Let's stand and read Matthew 3, verses 16 through four eleven. Use your imaginations for a moment in these opening scenes. And this is a passage, by the way, that I've heard for years taught by two or three different uh, Pastors, it has always captivated me. This passage has always just grabbed a hold of me and caused me to be just so appreciative of Jesus. It says this, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. By the way, right there we have uh, the Son and the Spirit Verse 17, and the Father, all the Trinity involved at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now just pause right there for a moment. Can you imagine if the, the top of the building just ripped off right now and God looked down and a light shone on your head, okay, your head, and God said, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Would that be a good day for you? So with that, what happens after a really great day, walking with the Lord, high spiritual experience, what happens? It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement. Understatement. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to them, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him. And the angels came to serve him. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Fathers, we pay attention now to this passage. I pray you'd open our eyes. I pray that you would help us to be able to see what is here. But also, Father, that we don't have to live in fear. Because you are the one that conquers the enemy. Satan is real. But our victory is also real. Father, help us to trust that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to just to notice a couple of things, and the first question that should come up to you is what is going on in one?" It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who even is this guy? Do you know? The first thing I'd have you understand is this. Satan is real. Do you know that? So we're talking about three different enemies, one of them is an actual person, an actual entity, a, a spiritual being that is against you. The other two, one is an organized system, the world. We'll talk about that. And the other one comes out of your own appetites. It's inside of you. Two of those are not enemy. If you strangle you, you both lose. OK? The world system is a system that's been organized by Satan, but the actual entity, one actual real person, an enemy of ours is Satan, he is real. Now there are all kinds of false representations of Satan out there in our, our world. In fact, it is becoming very popular to have some kind of satanic theme or some witchcraft driven theme in popular stories. These storylines fill up all of our media and I think that they are meant uh, twofold. First of all, for some people actually get a false fear from those things. And other people say, well, see, it's all just fake. It's all just a bunch of garbage. At the D-Day invasion, actually the allies took a whole group of dummies. They called them Ruperts or Oscars, okay? (laughs) And they threw them out of the planes with parachutes on so that the enemy would draw their fire. And they looked like they were uh, launching an invasion from a certain section. And the enemy was spending all of this time shooting their bullets at these dummies, They weren't actually alive, three foot tall. They called them Ruperts if they were from Britain or Oscars if they were from the United States because if you get an Oscar, everybody's shooting at you anyway, right? (laughs) So they throw them out of the plane, and while the enemy is firing there, they were advancing from another direction. I think that all of this stuff that's happening in the media, it's actually just something that's allowed even by the enemy so that you don't take it that seriously. But Satan is real. In fact, in Scripture, 55 times he is called our adversary. He's called the devil, which means slanderer or accuser, 35 times in Scripture. By the way, you are never more like Jesus than when you forgive or when you serve. You're never more like the devil than when you fight with somebody or you accuse. It's all the way through Scripture the God of this age, that's what he's called in Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's called the ruler of this world, little r, temporary uh, ownership, where he actually has the ability to roam and cause harm, John 16.11. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2. 2. And according to Ezekiel 28, 18 and 19, he's the most powerful created being. There's an interesting thing, and I would encourage you to write that passage down. If you don't have it at the end, it's in the notes uh, as you're coming or going, or you can actually uh, use the little QR code that's around uh, the building here to get that set of notes. But Ezekiel 28 has an interesting moment in this, it, and it's a, a way that the author Ezekiel is looking at a king, Tyre, but he's looking past the king to who is actually running the kingdom. And he says, you were in Eden The Eden of God. You had all of the rubies, all of the golden gems. Everything precious was yours. He said, but through the multiple works that you were doing, you got high on yourself. And you decided that you would take the throne of the most high. You wanted worship instead of God. And he's been inspiring people to desire worship and try to take the place of God ever since. That is his ploy. Most powerful created being. Satan is actually real. But there's something else I want you to see here. And this is the question we really want to tackle today. And that is, what is his actual plan? It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he'd fasted 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Good indicator of whether or not you're open to an attack of the enemy. I think on Monday nights you say uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt. Get some food, get some sleep, get on your knees, make sure you're prayed up because you're open to an attack to the enemy. Here he is in his human body, Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, after fasting is hungry and the enemy comes to him. And he comes to him with three different attacks, I want you to understand something. Um, Satan hasn't had to change his plans for a long time. When uh, my brother and I go down to the Rogue River October uh, every single year, we like to go fishing. This isn't an actual picture of the lure we use. Different fish. But fun nonetheless, you can actually see what's going on here. That fish thinks that something good is about to be his. And we all know what happens at the end of that hook. He gets reeled in. We go down to the Rogue River, and there is a fly called the Rogue River ant, all right? They've been using it since, for generations. Before my dad was born, they're using this river, uh, fly, on the river. Why is it that you can use this exact same lure for generation after generation after generation of little steelhead? Why? Because they fall to the same temptation, They have the same hungers, the same appetites. They go for the exact same thing. It's the most effective fly that we have found on that section of that river, this rogue river ant. That's what we use. And we don't have to change the bait, why? Because it works. Why would we go for something less effective when the real effective thing is sitting right there in our fly box? Well, it's usually sitting in my fly box until I see the rest of my family, then I'm left with one. They're super effective. We go fishing and uh, we use the same lure. Satan also does the same thing. In fact, I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, here is the serpent, another title for Satan. Verse 1, it says, The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord uh, God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the tree, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You will know good and evil. That seems pretty great, doesn't it? By the way, just a side note, did she already know what was right and what was wrong? She already knew she wasn't supposed to do that. She already knew right and wrong. The question is, had she experienced the pain of wrong? That's what God was protecting her from. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed together fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. He was coming for an evening stroll with them like he had done every other day before. What was that sound like? Satan had tempted them. I want you to see a couple of things. Satan uses the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Those are all things he's built into the world system. But he uses those lures to, first of all, get you and I to think incorrectly about ourselves. He wants the one he is attacking to think incorrectly about themselves. This is called pride. Satan consistently starts with our rights. You deserve to have that fruit. Your eyes will be open. Your experience will be greater. You'll actually be like God. He's holding you back. Look at what he says to Jesus in in Matthew 4. He says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to be bread. If you're actually God, why are you out here hungry? Why is it that it's sitting right there and you have the ability to turn these stones into bread? I already know that you are God. Why are you sitting here hungry? Just turn that into bread. Use your power. It's your right. Satan starts with rights. He starts with an unfair restriction given to you. And he says, I'm going to get you riled up about this so that you don't see the hook that's coming on the other side. We used to uh, share this in our book of John. I think we still do Manifestations of Pride. 30 different manifestations of pride. And if you want a copy of this, uh, you can uh, send to me. It's, It's taken from Pride and Humility, a little booklet. But the manifestations of pride are these. And each one of these has a scripture verse attached to it. But complaining against or passing judgment on what God has allowed. That's a sign of pride. A lack of gratitude in general. Anger. Seeing yourself as better than others. Those are all signs of pride. Just in your mind, Mark, whether or not you've ever experienced this at all, okay? Having an inflated view of your importance, gifts, or abilities, or being irritated when people don't see your importance, your gifts, or your abilities. Being focused on the lack of your gifts or abilities. By the way, false humility is also pride. Perfectionism, talking too much, talking too much about yourself, seeking independence or control, Being consumed with what others think. We can just pass by that one. That doesn't happen in our culture. Like, 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 like. That's gonna happen. Being discouraged, devastated, or angered by criticism. Being unteachable, unapproachable. Being sarcastic, hurtful, or degrading. A lack of service to others. A lack of compassion to others. Being defensive or blame-shifting. A lack of admitting when you are wrong. When was the last time that without somebody telling you, you know what, you were really wrong here and you had to admit it, when was the last time you on your own just went and said, gosh, I was really wrong here? It's a sign of pride. Resisting authority or being disrespectful. Voicing preferences or opinions when you're not asked. (laughs) Next page maximizing other sins and shortcomings being impatient or irritable with others being jealous or envious using other people being deceitful using attention getting tactics here's a a clincher not having close relationships cs lewis said one of the greatest proofs that you have pride is when you can see pride in other people and it irritates you a lot Satan wants them to think incorrectly about themselves. He wants to focus on their pride and say, you deserve this. What about your rights? But secondly, he misrepresents the facts. He lies. You will not surely die. All the rest of the book of Genesis, do you want to know what you see in all of their timelines? That's different from even one of the ones that we see in the New Testament. It says this person lived, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. It comes over and over and over again in the book of Genesis. It's unique in the Torah to the other genealogies that we see in the rest of Scripture. Why? Because over and over and over and over again, it's proven. Do they die? Do people die? You know what? 100% mortality rate. That's where we're at for people that sit in blue chairs you're fine. That's bluish gray. (laughs) We have a high mortality rate. Why? Because of the fall. He misrepresents the facts. In fact, he wants to create confusion. And uh, do you notice that in both cases, he goes back to God's word, uses a little bit of God's word, but puts his own meaning on it and says, let's insert some truth in here. And he tries to confuse each of those people. He tries to confuse God with God's word. He comes to Jesus and says, don't you know you're not going to get hurt? Just jump off of this place. Do this thing. Go this direction. And he's quoting scripture to Jesus. You know that he's going to use scripture with you. He's not going to lie to you and just come in with some news broadcast. He's going to take you to some little quip you see in a devotional experience and get you caught up in something that's a half-truth so that you'll run off and attack and live out his plan. He'll lie to you. He'll lie to you because he doesn't want you to abide or see the fruit of a faithful life. That's what he wants. Tony Evans has this amazing story about a guy who has, uh, had a watermelon patch And they were just coming into full bloom. They were really sweet, and he had begun to enjoy some of that. But he noticed as he went out into his field that a lot of other people were starting to enjoy some of that as well. And it was starting to irritate him. And he said, please, don't steal my watermelons. And people were stealing them. So he put a sign out there on the outside of his watermelon patch. One of these watermelons has been poisoned. That's what he did. Nobody stole some watermelons for a long time. Until he came back out at harvest time and he saw, scratched out the one on his sign and it said two of these watermelons have been poisoned. Now you guess. <laughs> Ruin the entire crop. You think you can outsmart Satan? You think that somehow you can see the tricks that other people can't? You can't see it right in front of you. There, there is no possible way for us to be able to see his sneaky attacks unless we are near the Lord. Amen? He is a liar, and he will get you lying for him. But third, he wants you to be independent of God's authority. He wants you to be rebellious. What does he tell Jesus? What does he actually tell Adam and Eve? Hey, I know what God says, but you do you. You look that up in the Urban Dictionary. What does that literally mean? You do what is right in your own eyes. Top result, Urban Dictionary. By the way, it's the top phrase in the book of Judges when everything goes disturbingly wrong. If every single person in here did exactly what was right in their own eyes, would we even have peace in a church? No. If everyone in your home did what was right in their own eyes, would you have peace in your home? If two people, and they're married, and they love each other, just do what is right in their own eyes, are they going to have peace? you got to do what's right in God's eyes, right? you got to yield to some higher authority. But he says, no, don't listen to a higher authority. Rebel. Do your own thing. What is Satan's goal? 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 through says that his first goal is actually to hide the gospel. He wants Christians acting so badly and you so confused... Uh, absent of peace, overwhelmed by your circumstances, disturbed by what is going around you, ruining your own home life. The, the gospel is unattractive to everyone else. They won't listen to the gospel because they don't see anything different in your life than they see in their own. That's what he wants. You might still be saved, but he wants you so messed up that the gospel is no longer attractive. He wants to veil the gospel and its truth from the world. That's what Satan wants. But in the life of a believer, He wants to get you to walk away from God's plan. We don't have time to develop it, but if you look at the first two chapters of the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, and by that I mean the story was already around when Moses was writing the Torah. They already knew the story of Job. 14 of the 21 times that we see the word Satan in the Old Testament, it's used in those two chapters. And here's the accuser, the deceiver, And what is he doing? He's attacking a righteous man over and over and over again. And what was his claim? If you will just take this away from Job, you want to know what he'll do? You mess with him, and he will, it says in your translations, he'll curse you. But if you look up that Hebrew word in all the rest of the Old Testament, it's used two ways. It's most often used for a blessing or a goodbye, It's not a curse like he's gonna cuss and shake his fist at you and say, I've never liked you. What Satan's plot was, what his bet was is, you start taking away the things that he really loves and you wanna know what he'll do? He'll just kneel down and say, God, it was really good knowing you, but this isn't working for me anymore. And you'll walk away. Now, I just want you to pause If that's Satan's ploy, to get you to walk away from your faith and the source of all your strength and the place where peace is going to be, the place where you'll have victory, the place where joy is found, if he's trying to get you to walk away from that, let's look at the last 18 months in the life of believers in the United States. How many people have gotten overwhelmed, irritated, and they just said, you know what, I'm not sure if this is working for me. I'm just going to walk away. Or I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm done. Does that hit a little too close to home? By the way, there shouldn't be any embarrassment here. There should only be repentance. What do we do? Jesus is the only one who can fix that. You haven't been tempted by anything that anybody else hasn't been tempted with. The whole room is filled with people who are afraid that their weakness will get exposed. And Satan wants to keep you in that pride. He wants you to walk away from close relationships. He wants you to walk away from being repaired. He wants you to walk away from fellowship. He wants you to walk away from the word of God. He wants you to walk away from a life that stands out as light. He's wicked. It could go on a t-shirt, Satan is a booger. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's coming. Do we have to be afraid? The real question that you need to answer is, what can I do? I want you to notice this. Scripture tells us, I listened to three different men preach on this passage. They all came to this exact same conclusion. Jesus is our example in all things. And instead of doing what only God could do, right, where he snaps his fingers and breaks Satan's neck, we can't do that. What does he do he shows us how we are actually to respond what is the way to victory what causes satan to leave what does it that's it he just stole my thunder <laughs> it says when the tempter approached him he said that if you are the son of god tell these stones to be bred and the devil took him up to the holy city and said hey if you are the son of god throw yourself down Uh, Notice, by the way, that the question that Matt answered last week is the central question that he's bringing. If you're really saved, if you're really God's child, why are you out here in the desert? Why are you out here having hunger? Why are you so alone? Why is there nobody around you? Why aren't things working the way? Why aren't you getting the respect that you deserve? Why aren't you allowed to use your power the way that you're supposed to? Why isn't everything going your way? If you're really the son of God, why? That's what he says. And what is Jesus' answer? Verse four, it is written. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, I must cling to God's word. Devil takes him up to a high city, gives him all the promises. In verse seven, Jesus told him, it is written. Don't test the Lord your God. The devil takes him up to a really high mountain. Verse 10, Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it." is written three different times. He tells him, this is what God's word says. Not only that, but he takes him to the book of Deuteronomy. When's the last time you did your devotions in Deuteronomy? Jesus uses one of the sections that we consider boring, right? We're not even dwelling on it, and he finds power there to run Satan out. There's no wasted words in the word of God, amen? There's no wasted words. He runs him. We need to trust and know the word of God. Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might experience conviction, but you will not be condemned because Jesus has paid it all. First John 1, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The whole trail that led me to the door of sin is even wiped clean because of Christ. John 10 My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. No one can take them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than I, no one can take them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. We've got you on both sides, he says. You run in with Scripture. But secondly, we need to see that we draw near to God. James chapter four, I'll read it for you. It's uh, also annotated in the notes there. It says, therefore, submit to God, bow to him, resist the devil, and what? He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise, by the way. You pause, you pick up the book, you bow your head, you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. It's a promise. There is no other statement in there that takes that away. There is no if only you do it the right way. There's no if you say the words right. By the way, what that means is you are as close to God today as you want to be. Do you know that? Feel like you're far from God? He says you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. It's a guarantee. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn and weep why does he say that? If you look at your sin the way that God looks at your sin, allow yourself to weep over the things that you have done, but allow yourself to be cleansed by what Jesus has done. Draw near to him. He will clear your slate. Draw near to God and then practice humility. It says submit to God. Bow your head. Folks, this is how we tackle the enemy. You can have victory. You can have it. And it's as near as just memorizing the word of God. If we had time this morning, we would get testimonies from folks on Monday night, one of our uh, areas where what they do is they just read scripture and see what God says about their situation and people are being set free. If we had time, we would talk to some of our counselors and they would tell you what they're doing is just walking through what scripture says and they're being set free by what God says about their situation. If we had time, we would talk to you, even be able to get testimonies from pastors that are in town that said, I tried this, and I tried this, and I tried this, but finally, I submitted to just going back to teaching the word and being in the word, and what ends up happening? The peace of God settles back in their life. It's for every single person. There's no class A, class B, class C Christians. We're all Christians in need of one answer. The word, amen? With that thought, this is what I want us to do. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you uh, didn't get one of these on your way in, uh, I want to make sure that you get those. So just raise your hand really quickly. If you did not get one, leave them up for a moment. And for the rest of you, while those hands are up, raise them high. Those guys will get those to you uh, right here. We have some up in the, the front here, Bryce. Um, Familiarize yourself with these. On one side is the bread, on the other side is the cup. There's two little flaps there that you can open. Um, But this is an element that is given to us to reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is given for believers. If you're here today and you're just checking out the faith, I'm going to encourage you to watch as believers participate in this. This is a memory of what Christ did, what they say they have placed their faith in. This is a moment for us to reflect, but the scriptures tell us that we're actually supposed to do this in an appropriate way. That means that if there's anything that we've been convicted of, if there's anything between us and the Lord, that we're supposed to take care of that before we participate in these elements. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have us bow our heads, close our eyes, I'm gonna give us a few seconds, I'm gonna pray, while I'm praying, I'm going to actually ask the music team to come up here and sing. And in the middle of that prayer time or in the middle of that worship time, I'm asking you to just think, Lord, if there's any area that I've been convicted of, will you take care of it? And you confess your sin, Scripture promises he's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. And then we'll take these elements together, okay? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Father, we, uh, we come before you right now, and we ask you to inspect our hearts as we read through that list, as we see what scripture says to us about the attacks of the enemy. I don't believe there's a person here who this last week, this last month, this last year, can't point out multiple places, not only where they were under attack, but maybe where they had submitted to the attack of the enemy. The discouragement that that we wear, the the sense of defeat can fill us up, but you didn't bring us to this moment in defeat. You finished the work on the cross. You defeated the enemy. And Father, you say that if we confess our sins, you will wipe it clean, but not only that, you will give us an abundant, brand new life. So we ask you, fill us with a sense of that even right now. As we experience forgiveness, as we worship, Father, help us to be thankful that victory is not dependent on our ability, but it's already given in Christ. Help us to trust that and help us to reflect on these elements with pure hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: How deep together How deep the fathers are.
0: no we
4: to familiarize yourself with uh, this, and we'll start with the bread. If I could get just a a little light on my Bible. I I turned 50 this last week. I can't even see my feet. Just say la among yourselves. There we go. Okay. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we find this passage. And just open that bread section up first. The scripture says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance. flip that other side over and open the cup. The scripture continues and says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are so thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he did that on our behalf, as we just sang. Uh, We were the ones, our sin held him there, and yet he finished the work so that we could have a relationship with you, so we could have eternal life. Father, I pray that we would walk in that abundant life, that we'd no longer submit to the wiles of the enemy, but that we would walk in victory because of what Jesus has done. And help us to live every single day looking forward to the day that we see you face to face. We thank you that that promise is ours. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to live out a life that is worthy of the calling. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
2: As we close, let's just sing that last verse again that proclaims our boast in Him, our confidence in Him alone. Sing, I will not boast. I will not boast in anything No gifts,
0: no power, no
2: are dismissed.
0: Jesus. Yeah.